from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hey guys, I'm producer Blake Jacobs, and this week I'm here all by myself as everyone's already gone home for the holidays. And I'm going to be remembering all the legends we lost in 2022. I'll be going in order of the day they passed, so we're not playing favorites. Up first, unfortunately, we lost number 10 and number 9 in the same week in early January. Let's get started with number 10. Number 10. We have lost a lot of celebrity greats. This week it is we are and two weeks also- into the new year and we've already lost about like 20 people. It's insane. 2022. I do not blame 2022. Just to go on mm-hmm. record that people live their lives and they pass away sometimes too soon. I'm going to start with a tribute, a rest in perfection to Sidney Poitier, who um, it's amazing because he had, it was so influential, such a breakthrough, the really the first black movie star, right? Um, and you realize that his fame came first in the 50s and 60s when they were just a few years away from when black people were basically maids and butlers. And he became a suave, versatile, handsome leading man. And everybody has their most favorite movies. He made classics. He won an Oscar for Lilies in the Field. But I, I really, and I love to serve with love. I love mm. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. But if there is... A, a, a moment when sort of history and acting and art and, and activism came together, I would have to say, looking back, it was In the Heat of the Night, a movie with Sidney Poitier, Rod Steiger, Lee Grant is in it. And I don't know if you've seen it recently, but I was watching some clips online and it's all about a, a murder in Mississippi and some small town cops and they're kind of covering it up and, you know, pointing their first finger. And Sidney Poitier, who I think is even suspected of it, is the city FBI agent who happens to be in Mississippi. And they're like, so why don't you stay there and work with the local law enforcement, which are a bunch of rednecks, you know, who are, ra- who are racist and work with them. And so he does. And in uncovering the small town corruption, he is also confronted at every step. At one point... The cops are like, well, and they use the N-word, which I will not say. But what do they call you up north, N-word? He goes, they call me Mr. Tibbs, which is one of the best lines ever in, in uh, being defiant and fighting back. And they actually made a sequel to the end of the night called, and they call me Mr. Tibbs. But then there's this awesome, awesome scene where they go to the rich man in the town to investigate him with the police there, his his unlikely partner, Rod Steiger, who has to like deal with you know, confront his own racism. And the richest guy in town um, just says the rudest things to Sidney Poitier and then slaps him. And he does this like in his fancy um, greenhouse, orchid greenhouse with his black butler there holding like this, you know, an old decrepit black butler who's probably been in the family for years. And Sidney Poitier, without missing a beat, slaps him back. And it's so shocking to see. And the guy holds his face. He's like, and he says to the police officer, you see what he did? He goes, yes. He goes, well, what are you going to do about it? He goes, I don't know. And then he goes, and there, oh, can I, there were in 1960, whatever year it was, there were Seven. gasps in the theater when that happened. And there were Southern theaters that refused to show the movie. It was a it big was a slap deal. Parade. 
around the world. And it kind of was this delineation moment in history when it went yeah. from kind of like Motown to James Brown, from Martin Luther King passism to like, you know, Black Panthers and, and taking control. And if there was ever a moment in the movies that defined that moment, it was that slap. And the last, the end of that scene, it's a very quick scene. Sidney Poitier pulls himself together and leaves. And it just leaves the old, rich, awful, racist man and his look and his and his decrepit black butler looking at him like no words are said, just like oh, he says to him after he slaps him back, he goes, he goes, I in I I used to be able to just to kill people like you. And then City Party does walks out, and the butler's just like, I can't believe it. Anyway. There's so much more to talk about with Sidney Poitier. Um, and everyone has their favorite moments. I don't know if you guys do. What's amazing to me, he also went into directing. He directed um, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder later. It's, it's like the last 30 years, he's been around. I've seen him on Oprah and at important events. But we he, he sort of did move back from public life. But what mm -hmm. a contribution he made in his, in, his, uh, in his life. And thank you and rest in perfection, Sidney Poitier. Number nine. I continue uh, my rest in peace parade with a rest in perfection to Bob Saget. This oh. one kind of surprised everyone. Bob Saget was 65 years old. He seemed kind of young. He had just uh, gone on the road in Florida and um, uh, was doing a stand-up uh, you know, comedy tour. He had just finished a concert. He tweeted out that he loved every minute of it. Couldn't leave. It was two hours. He went back to his room, and according to the coroner, he was found the next day by the cleaning crew. Um, he died in his sleep on the bed uh, in the, in in Orlando. Um, and you know, Bob Saget's one of those people who had many lives. You know, obviously, uh, Full House comes to to and Fuller House, and that was kind of a dumb show. And he played kind of a, a sappy dad character, although he was America's dad for that right generation. But he was beloved um, by a certain generation of millennials. Absolutely. And I will say, and I will say, as someone who was too old to watch that show when it came out, I still watched that show. And I was, it was sort of, it was like a bit eating a Big Mac, that show. It left you with a warm, gooey feeling. And he also did, you know, never forget, we also, my generation loved him because America's Funniest Home Videos was, was huge say, when it came on. He was like, the first host for nine years when we thought that show was, wouldn't go on for a thousand years. And he was, was loved YouTube by that. YouTube of its day. His, and there's two pieces of tape to watch if you haven't seen them already that sort of sums it up. One is he was loved by his friends and loved by comedians. So if you don't think Bob Saget was um, hilarious, you're wrong because he was loved by the community. Jimmy Kimmel did a pre-tape before he let the audience in um, where he just did a lovely tribute to him. And it's, it's as moving just to see Jimmy try to get through it. I guess he tried to record it several times and kept breaking down and crying and how much, I guess Bob Saget was one of those guys who would tell you if he loved you, he would check in with you. He really cared. He was a really sweet friend. And people say he was the funniest person in the room. Like if you went to a party and he was there, you crossed the room and you spent as much time with him as you could because he was just genuinely funny. And the other piece of tape to watch, there was a documentary about, called The Aristocrats. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was about the telling of a joke. It's it's the dirtiest joke ever told, and it's basically a a, a device to tell the dirtiest story you possibly can, and and you know it ended. And Bob Saget with that beauty, you know, that 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 punum was that was called, you know that 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 little boy face and his sweetness tells the most disgusting, raunchy version of the aristocrats known on earth, and. Uh, there's been weird think pieces like, was he America's dad or this dirty guy? It's like, he was all those things. And he, yeah, you know, no. and he, 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 everyone loved him. And uh, it's, you know, as I get up there at my age, 65 seems real young. 
Um, so, and he leaves behind his children, his, uh, his second wife, I guess maybe his first wife too, but anyway, it's just, uh, a, it a was sad amazing day. to see the outpouring of love on social media. I mean, people just every there was not a person on the in Hollywood who did not just think he was absolutely just the best. Yeah. So rest in perfection, Bob Saget. It's so sad. It's like, will, will everybody please just stop dying? It is like yeah. an extraordinary. You know, you know what they call um in medical terms, they call it the people who've died of COVID, they call it harvesting, which I find really creepy, but that's a medical term they use. Maybe it's just in the UK. They talk about people having been harvested just as a random detail. <laughs> Not long after losing Sidney Poitier and Bob Saget, we lost a titan in the fashion industry. Michelle Visage fills in for James in this segment. And we pay our respects to Andre Leon Talley at number eight. Number eight. Well, there was a great loss to the fashion world, to the world at large. Uh, rest in peace, Andre Leon Talley. Um, passed away. I am not, you know, James is not here. You guys know more about fashion. I know, Fenton, you did a documentary about Vogue and, and, and met him and interviewed him. I, I never met him. We came close to, de- we developed a show around him not that long ago. Uh, I know he was living in upstate New York, but what a character larger than life. What, um, what, and he, and he, it, it, I'm grateful that he wrote his book, his autobiography, not too long ago. So it's, 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 it's written down, it's documented, but he came from nothing. He made something of himself. He, he, he changed the world and, and all as a gay Although he, I don't think he identified as gay, but like as a queer or whatever you want to call him, you know, not, um, black man to have conquered the worlds and the society and and impacted the world. What, what do you he guys? He was think? just a force of nature, right? He was just larger than life. I mean, he was physically huge, and then in the in the later stages, he seemed to love wearing those big puffer jackets, not just yes. the jacket, but an enormous sort of gown. So he sort of he was just vast in in the best possible sense you know like and people just... are up in arms because anna wintour didn't uh recognize him for the work that he did and i know i've been reading that it didn't end very well for those two but i do feel like at the end of the day this the, all of that stuff should be forgotten and there should be an in memoriam issue she wrote some very moving words um about him so yeah that's something all right um rest in perfection angelion tally now before we go to break i'd like to remember the following legends we mentioned in the past year on the show who passed away earlier this year ronnie specter peter bogdanovich starchitect richard rogers the bagdanov twins James Biggood, Meatloaf, Terry Moogler, Peter Robbins, and Louis Anderson. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm producer Blake Jacobs, and I'm here alone this week, as everyone else has already gone home for the holidays, and I'm remembering legends we've lost in 2022. At number seven, we remember Wow Liberty, Annie Flanders. Number seven. We lost somebody this week that was just, uh, it, it was a hard one. It was a hard one to lose. When I got the news, it, it, it stopped me in my tracks. Um, Annie Flanders, who was 
the empress of Manhattan. She was the doyen of downtown. You would not have a downtown culture without Annie Flanders. She was the woman most famous who um, she was editor in chief and the creator of the Soho Weekly News in the 70s and then details in the 1980s. And if you don't remember details, the original details, not the menswear magazine it became after Condé Nast bought it. But in the 1980s, it was the downtown Bible for alternate fashion, street fashion, for the emerging art scene, and for nightclubbing. And there was Stephen Sabin's nightlife column. And if he mentioned you, you had made it. And Annie was... Without a doubt, she she started, she helped so many careers on, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I keep seeing people saying, I would not have a career without Annie mm-hmm. Flanders. And, you know, certainly she discovered Bill Cunningham. Hal Rubenstein started as a, as a food editor there. Michael Musto, Patrick McMullen, so many people. I think um, Kelly Cutrone maybe was one of those people who got her start there. So, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And Interestingly, she had such a life before all of this. She uh, had a store on the Upper East Side in the 1960s called Abracadabra that was one of the first stores to carry street fashion and all the avant-garde designers who could not get into Bloomingdale's or Macy's or Gimbel's. She also worked at Gimbel's for many years. She was a style supervisor, whatever. But so she opened the store. And in conjunction with that, she was in Africa she had a leather factory that she worked with King, um, the King of Mekel, 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 something. I don't know. Some, some African nation that I don't think is there anymore. That She worked closely with the King and to make leather goods, leather handbags and leather pants and leather fashion and everything. But I remember one night I was with her at Spotlight. And she has these, she would tell these stories that were just so jaw dropping. Like you could, and it did just very casually out of her mouth. She was talking about how she was staying at the palace of Halle Selassie, Emperor Halle Selassie of uh, Ethiopia, who was the, the, the Lion King of Africa. Is he was what he was referred to, and it was there was a, during an uprising, and the castle was being stormed. The palace was being stormed, and she had they had to light torches and go through underground pat secret underground passageways to escape the murderous mob. She and the emperor were running through these underground passages with torches, trying to get out of the palace while there was a like you know thousands of people climbing the walls of the palace to get them, and she just barely made it out with her lives and she just had these stories about her life that was just it's she was just an amazing amazing woman and she too her last couple years she was um she had dementia and she was uh you know she couldn't move and she she wasn't speaking and so that's the saddest thing you know yeah that's not the way you want to go no and once again you know so it it is a relief it was it was a release and it you know it but she is so beloved and it is so it was just with a heavy heart that you know that we lost one of the greats and it's funny she was an influencer before influencing right like very much so and it's funny because i was just in the um the edit bay with blake and we were going through some of the podcasts and Michael Schmidt is talking about how she plucked him out of obscurity and made, you know, put his his first dress he ever made on the cover of Details, and Cher got that, saw that, and you know, like I mean, like everything she did, she just helped so many people over the years. No, 
Rest in perfection, Annie Flanders. Yeah. Number six. There seems to be so many great superstars passing on to the next realm, but I was incredibly moved. I don't know about you guys about the passing of Naomi Judd. Oh. And this is how the news came out. You know, I'm from New Hampshire, and I said, wherever there's an AM station and a pickup truck, there is country music. I grew up listening to country music. I have dipped into, you know, I don't always have my radio set to country music, but I listened to it a lot throughout the years. In the 80s, you could not escape, and you, nor did you want to escape the beautiful sounds of the Judds. You know, Winona, obviously the vocalist of the group, but the blend of their harmonies, the mother and daughter, the most successful mother and daughter ever. And, you know, with all of that came all the speculation because Naomi was the skinny one. The mother was the pretty one, you know. Winona, whatever. And then there's the daughter, Ashley, who became the huge movie star. And then, you know, Naomi got hepatitis C and was open about it. That's the thing about the judge. They've always been incredibly open about what they're going through. And they 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 broke up, I think, in 91. They had a farewell tour. And, you know, thank God Naomi got better. She hosted shows. She did a lot of things. She was just a present. And I say this with love. Naomi is a drag queen. Winona is a drag queen. Like, they they deliver so much beauty and opulence and just a few weeks ago on the Country Music Awards, they were there. They were about to be uh, uh, indoctrinated into the Country Music Hall of Fame. And they had this beautiful outdoor concert where they were in blue. And uh, Naomi had a wig that would make the B-52s jealous. And they sang together, Love Will Build, you know, Love Can Build a Bridge. One of their huge songs is so simple and beautiful again in these terrible times. And I watched that again and again when it was released by the dot by by um, Ashley that their mother had died by mental illness and it has been confirmed that she took her own life and i thought that was sort of a profound i never heard anyone say it that way and it was kind of a profound way to um express that and it was she she, she it was announced the day before and she i think she she she, she committed suicide the day before she um they were going to be indoctrinated into the, into, the, into the country hall of fame and Ashley and Winona showed up and took it, received the award in their mother's Very, memory. I mean, such a brave act. Yeah. When they, when they came on stage, um, it, y- you never know what someone, how, if someone is suffering, you never know what goes on behind the facade. It's, um, and she, she talked, uh, I saw that in an interview with Gail King that she did where she said she would be on stage in glitz and glamor and the, you know, had the glitter eyelashes and everything. And then she would go home and not leave the house for three months and not mm-hmm. take care of herself and not wash and bathe. I just, mm-hmm. she would go from one extreme to the other. And that's just part of the depression. I also think that um we're moving away from the phrase committing suicide forgive me if i missed yeah no um it, no, no no that's fine i mean it's just it's what, a learning what process right now but it's you know that the, they took their life or, or whatever oh, but, okay. but committing suicide has has a, a harder tone absolutely to it. again i, I it's, yeah as we speak. Well, you know, I should just say, if you or someone you know is in crisis, contact the Suicide Prevention Line, yeah. Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, which is 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. And I'll just or, say, you, you, know, you never know, you just never know when, you're, when, you're la- when your goodbye is the last goodbye. I hate to be exactly. Boring, you never and, know in any circumstance. 
with so many of people that we've lost, you know, this year, so many friends that I've lost this year, it's just bang, bang, bang. It's I, every time I saw someone, I was at a party on Friday night and I, we were talking about it and I said, just hug your friends whenever you see yeah. them. Just, just, we have to hold each other tight. Everybody has to just really help each other through, yeah. you know, because we don't know, you don't know what's going to happen and right. what other people are going through. Well said. In this next segment, we have Seth Abramovich from The Hollywood Reporter joining us as we pay our respects to the wonderful Olivia Newton-John. Number five. I had to uh, break my vacation just to be with you guys and to share with you. I I, uh, flew to Boston. I got off the airport. I was sleeping the whole flight. I turned on on Monday. I turned on my phone. I saw a New York Times uh, news bulletin. My eyes blurry. Olivia Newton-John passed away at 73 and I lost my breath. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to be a cornball here. I just, I sort of ran into, I got out of the line, kind of leaned against the wall and I looked up and I realized, well, no one's looking at me. I'll keep going. And the next person I spoke to a few minutes later was my sister because she's picking me up at the curb and I hadn't spoken. And I'm like, Amy. And I just bawled like a baby. I could not, it just was a genuine, you know, and I said to her, I didn't want to freak her out. Like, I didn't think I was going to cry. Olivia and John, as anyone who knows me, I've loved for so long, since the very beginning. I was 10 years old when I bought um, Let Me Be There, her first American ah, hit. Let me be there. And she had, you know, boy. huge hits up until like 1983. So, and I've just been thinking about this a lot lately. That takes me from 10 to 20. And so much changes in your life from 10 to 20. And Olivia was the it girl. And of course, we all remember her lover from Greece, and that that sort of immortalizes her. And it kind of tells her story because before Greece, she was a huge star. She had number one records. She was this Australian British import who did, who won you know country awards. Had number one songs. I honestly love you during a kind of pre ironic seventies when things was very straightforward and beautiful. And then with Greece, she had an opportunity to like reinvent herself. And people always slut shame Sandy. It's like. Damn it! Like she, she wanted to like you know get down and get have some fun with John Travolta. It's like, come on, that's that's we were all feeling the same way. Um, and then of course her career after that, she had Physical, which was the biggest song of the '80s. Not Madonna, not George Michael, not Whitney Houston, uh, Olivia Newton-John. Um, and that- Xanadu. Do not forget how important, how formative Xanadu was for me. I remember I was. Um, uh, it was a summer and I had gone to the record store and I saw Xanadu. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. It was a movie. I got the album. I went home, electric light orchestra, one album, uh, Olivia Newton, John, the other, and just, it blew my little mind. It was a mix of disco and new wave. And it was People always was wanted so to dismiss her talents. And she had yeah. one of the most distinctive, beautiful on pitch voices. She worked with John Farrar her entire career. They made incredible music, incredibly varied music together. Um, And of course, in 1992, she was diagnosed for the first time with breast cancer and she was very public about it. And she uh, made a big point. There's a big uh, cancer center named after her that she was a part of in, in Melbourne, which was a cancer center with a wellness center. So she was very much about Eastern and Western medicine working together. And, you know, 30 years later, she, 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 you know, succumbed to cancer, but she was always, she's just beyond the career, beyond her beauty was external, but it was so internal that I don't think anyone, I don't think she ever let anyone down. I just rewatched a, um, 
CBS This Morning where she talks about her cancer and knowing about death and dealing with it and how she never complained. She's just the most beautiful. And I go for a little gay boy, she somehow made everything okay. And she made everything, and she was a safe. Uh, I, I just want to say friend. that I um I broke down in tears when they were doing a sort of a retrospective on the news when it when it came out and when I honestly love you when she, you, she started singing that and I was just like I honestly loved her and I just I literally just broke down in tears it was it was very I can't very think sad. of a controversy or a time that she let people mm-hmm. down or she was she never took things too seriously you know she always had a smile we had her on Drag Race which was and I've met her a couple times. Actually, I probably told you the story, but there was Sandy Gown through a, a, a Christmas party in 1988. It's the most amazing party I've ever been to, will ever be to. And it was Bob Dylan and, and Streisand. And, and it was just, it was like hundreds of celebrities of that ilk. And Olivia was there with Matt Latanzi. And I was able to corner her. And oh, Matt Latanzi. We haven't even talked about her first husband. <laughs> but I got to tell her how much I loved her. And my friend John Tolens reminded me that not only did you love her, you, you got a chance in your life. And I didn't post a picture of me with her, even I have one, because it's not about me and her. It's about what she emanated. And and my mm. last thing you guys to talk is I when, when gay marriage was bubbling up and I kind of didn't see it, I couldn't see us having gay marriage. And I thought, also, who wants to buy into the institution of marriage? I get it. But like I said, we just need to create our own kind of marriage. We need to like redefine it. And I thought we should call it Xanadu. And if you listen to the lyrics of Xanadu, it speaks to the, the dream that lived through a million years, that lived on through all the tears. We call it Xanadu. So if you get married, uh, if I ever get married, if anyone will ever marry me, we'll, we'll, we'll actually just go to Xanadu. <laughs> well, that is a beautiful uh, tribute. Um, Seth, do you have a Xanadu moment to... Um, well, of course, she touched me greatly. I mean, Greece, uh, you know, indelible. And um, but I have one anecdote that's secondhand, but I'll share it because it, it kind of shows her personality. And it's uh, I went to interview the woman who played Snow White on the Oscars infamous telecast. Yes. And uh, and I said, what you know, what happened after you got off stage after that whole crazy performance? And she said, I went into the dressing room and and Olivia Newton-John was just sitting there. And she turned to me and she looked me in the eyes. She said, wow, that was, she didn't say anything bad. She just said, that was incredible. How did you get through all that? Something like that and <laughs> in a very um, sort of supportive way, you know? And, um, and I think she gave her a hug or something, but there was something in the way that she, that was her little guardian angel when she got off the stage of that really horrible moment um, that, I, that touched me a lot and, and said a lot about her personality that she looked her in the eye because everyone else was giving her the cold shoulder, you know, but she, but she, she talked to her and congratulated her. And I thought that was really sweet. That's what I thought of. That is so beautiful. Um, Yeah. Rest in perfection, Olivia Newton-John. We'll be right back after the break, but before we go, I'd like to mention a few more legends we lost in 2022. Elsa Clinch, Tova Borgnine, Fenton's dad, Ian Bailey, Ashton Hawkins, Marcus Leatherdale, Club Extraordinaire Regine, and Clace Oldenburg. We'll be right back. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm producer Blake Jacobs, and I'm here alone. Everyone else is home for the holidays, and I'm remembering legends we lost in 2022. Let's jump back into the list at number four. Number four. I want to talk (laughs) just a little tiny bit, James, about the passing of Queen Elizabeth. 
And um, here's what I take away. I was in London, I was in London shooting a show um, when it happened. We'd been told for years shooting Drag Race and Queen of the Universe that when the Queen passes away, there'd be a state-ordered eight-day mourning. And we were so, and so the last day we were shooting, we were putting on, we, we were letting the audience in to the Queen of the Universe. And there, it's like the Queen is dead. The, like, like everyone, Michelle Visage knew. She knew someone in the palace. She knew ahead of everyone else. And we were like, do we go on? I was just so afraid the whole city was going to shut down. Indeed, it did not all shut down. Um, it's, it's hard. I can't even begin to understand what the Queen meant to for 70 years to a country. She's like water there, right? She's just always there. And, and um, I, I didn't, I was going to do a Buckingham Palace and then I felt like an outsider. When I got home that night, I watched a lots of tributes, which had been pre-produced and um, newsreel footage that had been compiled of just her, you know, her entire reign. Here's my only takeaway, because there's too much to unbreak, break down, pro con, all that kind of stuff is all these years later, Charles is king. Camilla is eventually is essentially queen. And think of all the drama that was created by keeping those two apart. And Princess Diana and her tragic passing. The only like a 70-year lifespan gives you perspective of like. The little stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just get along with people. That's what I take away from the Queen's passing. What do you guys think? Well, James. I liked her little outfits. I always liked her little matching coats and jackets and dresses and the little sensible shoes and sensible handbags and the hat that matches. I loved the Queen for many, many reasons. I... um. Uh, I like Harry and uh, Megan being there and walking with, with you know, Char- or, um, William and Kate. I thought that was very touching. Yes. Um, uh, I loved when uh, Charles had the meltdown a- over the pen. I love that. That is my... I, I, <laughs> that that the- got me my juices flowing, boy. That was like a kid- Game of Thrones moment where you see the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first moment either, because when he signed up to be king, remember there was a, a sort of pen set on the desk and he was. Well, that's that's the one I'm talking about. That's oh, the one I'm talking about. James, you have the other the one where I saw where it was melt. Yes. And he the best had, one is the leaking pen. Yes. The leaking like, pen. That is. Well, there's two. But, there's, but yeah. that, that gives me hope that we might have a crazy king in the future, <laughs> that, that he's a nutty sort of control freak. Can I just but, say, can I just play what I know you got about that, but just one minute. It's like he's signing the thing and he says, Oh, what day is it? And the aide says, Oh, it's the 13th, your sir. And then, so, oh, bugger, I wrote the wrong day. And as he's writing it, Camilla, who's standing there, says, you wrote the 12th earlier. <laughs> so there's this sort of squabble about what day it is. And then <laughs> he stands up, no, oh, this bloody thing, the pen's leaking. <laughs> it is a moment for the ages. And I will say nothing that would have ever happened with Queen Elizabeth. No, so, no, that's just it. That's just and it is you can see on the crown on a future episode of the crown, it's gonna be a whole episode. Ah! Leaky pen, leaky pen. And then, you know, the, the, the thing that was on the desk and get, God, get rid of it. And he freaks out. And there's going to be all sorts of behind the scenes, blah, blah, blah. But I do, um, I do think that the American press 
greatly overestimated our interest in this when we've got so much going on with the Mar-a-Lago and Donald Trump and the subpoenas and this and that, where you have literally 23 and a half hours a day following uh, the Queen toddling her way down from from Scotland. I watched I watched that first night. I saw the footage. I had my emotional catharsis yeah. and I'm no longer interested, not in a mean way, but like. No. It's it's like watching paint dry, and also hearing people. Well, she did love her corgis, and they, they, everyone's speculating. It's like you know, yeah, I'm and, waiting and, for the big funeral procession. Is, is, yes, it once every seventy years this happens in in the UK, and God bless them. Go bananas, you guys! You deserve yep. it. It's all on you. But in America, I don't think we need ten channels of news covering twenty three and a half hours a day about it. I just don't. And it got and it really irritated the fuck out of me by about. I have one word for you, James. Severance on Apple TV. <laughs> or, or gummies, as, as we were talking about before the show. <laughs> well, I'll just wrap this up by saying the funeral is on uh, Monday the 19th. So maybe we'll next week have a little... That I will watch. Mm, mm, bound to be big. Um... This year, we also lost one of our queens, Cherry Valentine, from RuPaul's Drag Race UK. While co-founder Randy Barbado joins Tom and Fenton to remember sweet Cherry Valentine. Number three. I'm just so sorry to share the news, which many of you may have heard already, that Cherry Valentine, queen of season two, Drag Race UK, passed away last week. Um, just 28 years old. Uh an amazing character. Um, just one of the things I love about her, among so many, she just had the most spectacular, infectious laugh that was like, you know, it was, it's just like that, it's like the shade button sound. It's like you like Cherry Valentine, you know? But that laugh was sort of emblematic, really, of just her incredibly generous and loving spirit. She was so... So much fun. And although the, her cause of passing hasn't been revealed, it, you know, it seems, well, she took her own life. And that is such a sad and tragic thing that someone who, I guess it's always the, the, the people who you would never imagine. She was so strong and resilient. She was a mental health nurse. Um, and in fact, earlier this year made a documentary called uh, Cherry Valentine, Gypsy Queen and Proud, because- It's, a, it's an amazing doc, it's, it's really an amazing documentary. And, and it's funny how, how with all queens on Drag Race, Drag Race, you never, you, you, it, it's the teaser to who these queens are, you know? And, and Cherry Valentine, um, she is this amazing multidimensional and, you know, led such a rich life. And I think seeing that doc, you really get another, uh, just, just, you get to understand more of, of, of who he was. Yeah. I mean, Cherry struggled with his identity. Um, and also coming from the gypsy community, the traveler community, the gypsy Roma and traveler community, I think is GRT, you know, that isn't always the most accepting community necessarily. And Cherry was, had issues with, with, with her family. Um, her mom stuck by her. In fact, her mom 
came to see not only Cherry in drag, but the first ever drag show she had ever seen in her life. And Cherry was just such a loving and embracing and just such a selfless person. It's just, this, it's the saddest thing. Can, can um, I just say two other things? And that, and, and this is not to promote things. It's really about like getting to know her more. She's also featured in work, in um, work, the world UK in one of the episodes. And it really, it's such a sweet and touching short film that's w- worth checking out. And also I think, you know, we're planning on raising some funds for an organization in the UK, which we're going to announce at some point in the future mm-hmm. in her honor. She made such an impact at such a young age. Uh, I can't even believe it's true. That's why I'm so silent. It just seems unreal to me. I'm having trouble absorbing yeah. it as the truth. I know it is. And very sad and wish her family and everyone who knew her and loved her closely and from afar, uh, you know, uh, our, our deepest sympathy. Absolutely. Um, I was just reminded of her farewell message when she sashayed away on uh, episode two of season two. She wrote, always remember, love yourself first. And I think uh, words for, uh, we can all, should all remember at this time and, and words to live by. And um, rest in perfection, Cherry Valentine. If you are having difficulties and if you are having thoughts of self-harm in the U.S., just dial 988. Um, if you're outside of the U.S., the Samaritans operate helplines, um, and we'll post those numbers on the WOW Report, too. Number two. We pre-taped last week's show um, earlier in the week because Fenton was traveling, and we missed... Maybe the top story of the week, if you're a homosexual or you're 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 just a, a person who loves theater, and that was the passing of Dame Angela Lansbury. Wow, it really hurt. This was this was one that, that when I saw the news, literally tears were streaming down my face. It really, oh. really got to me. Now you weren't surprised. Well, of her age. You know, I mean, you know, she was 96, so it's a life well lived. And when someone is 96, you don't, you aren't saddened by it, but you just, it's, it's a passing. It's a, it's a milestone and it's a, a chunk of your life. That's, that's just gone. Absolutely. And there's really no other star ever. I believe that had the longevity and the almost slow burn. She never, she was, Famous, you know, she was in movies in the in the golden age of Hollywood in the forties. She was in Gaslight. She was in all those movies. She her, her, in, her first two um, roles, Gaslight, and the, she got nominated for an Oscar. And she was like twenty one, something like that. Exactly. She was just a young slip of a girl. Yes, but you know how some stars will peak. They'll have their five years, their ten years, their definitional, and they and then they kind of become stuck in that mode. She was part of the forties. The fifties, the sixties. She was the mother in the Manchurian Candidate, and then when, she. Took- and you've got to point out that when she was the mother, she she was um, playing opposite her her co star, her son. She was only five years older than her son, wasn't she? Which is the key to success too: is to look, is to play old, young, and then play it the rest of your life. Yes, yeah, she was. She she was somebody who looked old even when she was in her thirties. She was playing like yes. 50, 60 year old women. The toast of Broadway in in uh, in Maine. Ah, uh, just with B. Arthur, yes. yes, 
the musical. And then, you know, there is the story that uh, someone brought to my attention that in the, in the late 60s, um, her kids were getting involved in drugs. And one daughter in particular was kind of hanging out with the Mansons. And so she plucked the family and moved to like Ireland to where her grandmother was from and sort of stepped away from show business for a bit. But well, but, but no, you really have to lean into that story because the daughter was hanging out with a guy who was very unsavory and uh, and very creepy crazy, and he was having her steal from Angela and steal from her purse, steal yes. food for him, and then come to find out after she fl- she she got her daughter away from this creepy guy that it was Charles Manson. Yes. <laughs> Who was who was hanging out with the bar? And you got to think, you know, Charles Manson was also hanging out with Doris Day's son. He was also with the Beach yes. Boys. I mean, he he, he was, was targeting really infiltrating the Hollywood all these famous yeah. children. All that before there was know, reality television, to, there was Charles before Manson. You, before sorry. we go on to a little bit more of her career, um, there was a story in the Daily Mail that I sent to both of you that John Waters was giving an interview, and he said that in the eighties he ran into Angela Lansbury at the Hellfire Club in New York. Now I lived above the Hellfire Club, and the Hellfire Club was a seedy, seedy, seedy sex club. It was an SM sex club that was just literally every time you turned around, there was, you know, a penis in your hand or someone was licking your boots or someone was sniffing at your butthole. I mean, like, you could, no matter, I mean, seeing Angela Lansbury there is just one of those great incongruous things that, anyway, but Tom, keep going on about her career, please. No, but it's just, I mean, we all know it, but it's, and then Murder, She Wrote, which was, when people watch television, it was probably the number one show for 10 years, CBS Sunday nights. Um, my mother loved it. You know who still whose favorite show that is to this day? RuPaul Andre Charles. Oh, sure. Love. Well, you know, it's funny because during the pandemic, I started watching it again. And it's like one of those love boat things where every episode, it's an Ethel yes. Merman. It's, a door, it's, yes. it's some star from the Golden. And come to find out that it was a lot. She used a lot of these older stars who were um, still needed their. Um, they didn't work to qualify for their insurance. And yes, so she would employ them to keep them working yes. anymore from the 30s and 40s, and she would give them jobs so that they could keep their SAG insurance, which is just God. Whenever I'm watching Turner Classic movie, as I do often, and I, I go on a, a Google search, you know, of the actors, they always they're like busy in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and then they did then they did Murder She Wrote in the 80s. <laughs> then it was Perry Mason in the 50s, Love Boat in the 70s, and Murder She Wrote. Definitely, yes. we can't forget that she was Miss Teapot and oh, in Beauty. And I would say the role. Ben Knobs and broomsticks in which she single-handedly stopped the Nazis from invading Europe by by uh, singing uh, to a, a flying bed. But she was also my favorite movie, if you get a chance. It's called All Falls Down. And it's a 1960s movie starring Warren Beatty as her son. And Warren Beatty, and it's, it's very t- Tennessee Williams Southern Gothic, and he plays a hustler who is obviously based on like a gay hustler, but they had to make him straight. Sure. His name is Barry Barry, B-E-R-R-Y dash B-E-R-R-Y. And the whole movie is, Barry Barry, is that you? Barry Barry, what the hell are you doing, Barry Barry? And it, 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 watching her be Warren Beatty's mother is absolutely hysterical. You have to see it if you haven't had a chance. It's so good. But you can find Beauty that on and TV, the Beast yeah. made her like immortal, right? Like generations and generations yeah. uh, will remember her for that. And she and was working on Broadway also, just a few years ago. Yeah, I was going to say Broadway, not only Mame, but she was an incredible gypsy. She was an incredible, I mean, what other ones do you know? What can you think of? Uh, company. I just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just intense and immense. And 
what a body of work she has left behind. And I know it's last week's news, but we just needed to have a moment to just walk down memory lane with the incredible career of Angela Lansbury. May she rest in perfection. Barry, 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 is that you? Please watch All Fall Down. It is so lurid in camp. It is one of the best movies of all time. You heard it here first. We'll be right back after the break with our last person on the list, a true gay legend. But before we go, I'd like to remember a few more people we lost in 2022. Actress Anne Heche, the voice of Ursula from The Little Mermaid, Pat Carroll, fashion and celebrity photographer Roxanne Lowett, Jean-Luc Godard, photographer William Klein, country legend Loretta Lynn, Nikki Fink, soap legend John Aniston, and most recently Christine McVie. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm producer Blake Jacobs remembering the legends we lost in 2022. And the final legend on our list we tragically lost in October. This one really hurt. Number one. Oh, this one's hard, you guys. And it's the wonderful, gorgeous human being inside and out. Leslie Jordan left Earth this week. And so if unexpected, so sad. And if there is a heaven, Leslie is there and he's a large and in charge. You know, Leslie Jordan, people know from Will and Grace as, as, uh, as what was it? Beverly Leslie, Leslie, something like that. And um, Beverly Leslie. And, thank you. Uh, Karen Walker's nemesis, which fun fact that he was in a, repl- a last minute replacement. That character was supposed to be played by Joan Collins and something happened. To his, his <laughs> yes. And he took over it. And, you know, I, I first fell in love with him, uh, watching him in plays and movies by Del Shores, uh, Sorted Lives, uh, 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 Southern Baptist Sissies. Um, and, you know, he appeared in Drag Race a couple of times. I had the, the wonderful uh, privilege of working with him. Uh, I knew him outside the rooms. We had some mutual friends. I'd been to dinners with him. He was the best storyteller, but, oh. but sort of more than anything. And I want to hear you guys. It's like never was there someone who was he was diminutive he was a sissy by by definition and yet he was the greatest one of the greatest men i've ever met known and he was full of love radiated love and helped i think everybody feel better about themselves helps his 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 he's huge in the gay community but i think especially during covid when he had his viral moments and his 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 very honest to camera uh, conversations. I think the whole world fell deeply in love with Leslie. Yes. Um, I met him, I think in the nineties, uh, we were in, um, uh, we were in the out 100 together and they had us do a photo shoot together, dressed as like 18th century courtesans. And we spent about five hours just, I was just, everyone dissolved into giggles because he was, like you said, in the great tradition of Southern storytellers, he is up there with Truman Capote and, uh, you know, Tennessee Williams. He, once he starts telling a story, it is just, it was magical. And I was very happy to spend a lot of time with him. Uh, he was recently at one of the drag cons. Uh, we did a panel together, uh, so I just, God bless him. What a wonderful, wonderful person. This is what everybody has said to me, including Randy. He's like, 
it feels like every year he was a bigger star. His momentum was just building and building and building. Well, I read an interesting piece by Alexander Kakala and um, talking about how his, you know, his struggle in life and that embracing his sissiness and, and learning to love the sissy was sort of part of his journey. And I, I loved what you said, Tom, because I think sissy power is so underrated and ignored, and yet it is this sort of profound moral force. And I think that's why his star got brighter and brighter because he just got just leaned into the sissy. And I think we need, you know, sissy that walk, right? Absolutely. It's just, you know, again, when people pass, you remember the best of them, but it's hard to remember anything but great things about Leslie Jordan, who I also know had been sober for many years and just really, you know, has had been there and done that and, and, and come out the other side as this beautiful creature. And he will be so deeply missed. You know how when people pass away, famous people, you know, your, your social media fills up with people with pictures with them. Yes. It was true with Leslie, but I feel like it's because he was so accessible. I feel like if you lived in West Hollywood, you had coffee with Leslie. You you saw him at the Starbucks. He made you laugh. He was he was a special guy. And of course, he's um on a, on a sitcom. Call me Cat. Shane Jackson and Mayim Bialik. And, yes, uh, and yeah. uh, and they've been posting. And there's a, a, a anyway. So I can go on and on, but I just it it's, makes me tear up and cry, and it makes me so grateful that I got to know him a little bit, and that you know video of him and his messages live on, but not the same. Rest in power, Leslie Jordan. Thanks for tuning in to The Wow Report for Radio Andy. We'll be back next week with a brand new show. But until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow.